Hello and welcome to the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Barbara Fisher. Today I'm talking with WJ from West Virginia. Uh, she has lots of stories to tell and she has been a pilot and she's worked on radar, um, repairing radar and communication systems for airplanes. And she just has a lot of cool stuff to talk about. So welcome, WJ. Hello, it's good to be here. It's great to hear from you. You can yeah. you can start wherever you want. Okay, well, I think the best place to start is like right in the air. So okay. I'll tell you about my very first uh, bizarre experience that I had in an airplane um, of all places. <laughs> you know, because you think, well, UFOs, most UFO sightings are somebody on the ground looking up at the UFO. Well, I got to see one from in the air looking down at the UFO. Oh, it wow. Was crazy. Oh, it was wow. crazy. So I'm flying along uh, at a pretty low altitude. I was in a smaller little four seat airplane and it had a, a big canopy. You could see everywhere around you. Really, really good view out of this airplane. And I looked down and to my right and the passenger I was with apparently saw it too. Cause you know, he's like, what is that? What is that? And I saw this thing, it looked like a bird, but it was not a bird. It was huge. It was probably like eight, 10 foot wingspan. And, you know, I thought it was like this weird bird coming at us at first. Cause you know, as a pilot, when you see something coming at you, that's smaller than a plane, you think, well, that's a bird. Right. Well, it came up and it had its wings up in like a V sort of shape. Like it was going to flap, but it never flapped. Ooh. And it was chrome. This whatever it was was completely chrome. Ooh. I don't know what material it was, and I thought, okay, well maybe it's somebody's radio-controlled airplane or balloon. But it was right above the airport, and it was an uncontrolled airport, which means there's no control tower. It's just kind of like a free-for-all where right. little airplanes land. Yeah. So I was like, okay, it's not an RC plane. You know, it wasn't moving like an RC plane. It came right at us and just dove like a bird. But like I said, this thing was mirror chrome, mirror chrome. Yeah, bird feathers don't do that. <laughs> no, last they I checked. Do not. No. So whatever it was, and this was before drones. I was you. about was to like ask, when was this? Yeah, because that's this was before drones. Yeah. Like the very first drones, I remember. I was real into flying radio-controlled airplanes when they came out. And I had seen all the types of drones that were um, available. And that was about four or five years after this experience. <laughs> so never did see the silver V-shaped whatever this was. Wow. It was crazy. What kind yeah. of uh, sort of V-shape uh, angle, what, what kind of angle were those wings at? I'd say about 60 degrees. It was Ooh. almost like too steep for it to be flying with its yeah. wings like that. Yeah, I'm I'm yeah. trying to figure out if lift works that way. And I don't well, think it, it does. Kind of doesn't. <laughs> I think no. the physics <laughs> says no to a 60 degree angle on on wings. Like, yes, birds do that when they're diving and when they fly, but they also do, you know, they flap and they have their wings out horizontal and, you know, all those things. just just a V-shape like that doesn't generally yeah it was really spooky it's like engraved in my mind forever and i never wanted to tell fellow pilots about it because you know they are like oh well you're crazy and you shouldn't be flying an airplane if you think you're seeing things like that 
Yeah. But I saw what I saw. And this airplane was not moving fast that I was flying. We were doing maybe 90 miles an hour at best. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's plenty slow to see what, what you're seeing. You're not just whizzing by it at 400 knots like an airliner. Right. You don't have time to see at that speed. Yeah. But we did. Yeah. Yeah. And you had a, you had a passenger who also saw it. So there's that. Yep. Yep. I had a witness. (laughs) So I knew I wasn't going crazy. About how many seconds did the sighting last? About 45 seconds solid from when I first saw the object, my passenger said, what is that? And when it dove off our right wing and I was sitting on the left side. So I was looking out over my passenger to see it. But he and I both agreed that it was a chrome V-shaped bird-looking apparatus of some sort. Wow. That's Maybe amazing. Like and, Mothman or something. And of course, <laughs> it, it was daylight. Broad daylight. With the yeah, light shining off of the chrome. Yeah. 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 That was pretty amazing. So how did you... Well, as you were flying, I'm sure you, you had feelings, but... How did it make you feel to see that? Was that a, a, a moment of, oh, my God? Or was it a moment of, oh, my God, but I have to fly the plane, so I can't be too, oh, my God? <laughs> yeah, it was that. You know, I, I was like, okay, well, my first thought is, you know, this thing's coming at me. It's probably some jerk with a drone or whatever. But when I actually focused on it and saw it and, and noticed that it was chrome and bird-shaped, I said, all right, well, let's just get away from this thing, whatever it is, and just focus on getting back on our flight path and getting the plane on the ground because we were approaching the airport at the time to land. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's the last <laughs> time you want to be distracted. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, wow. that's And it dove yeah. and yep. went out of sight. Out of sight, it went. It went down below us, and the thing was at about two thousand feet. I estimate. Wow. Of course, I'm sitting yeah. here. Did anybody on the ground see it? You can't exactly ask without, as you said, other pilots being like, "That girl crazy." We mm, that mm, no, no. <laughs> well, they already thought I was nuts. Just you know, being the radar and and avionics person I am, they think anybody that works with that stuff is already crazy. So. They're going to be saying, ah, oh, you just been exposed to too much microwave radiation. <laughs> Which, they're, they're, yeah, if, if you are exposed to too much of it, it's, it, it cooks your brain a little bit. It's not good for you. It does. One of our professors at school uh, had permanent migraines because of it. Oh. Every single day he had to deal with it. Horrible. I felt so bad for him. Yeah, that's awful. That's awful. Yeah, yeah. And th- yeah, that wasn't, you know, that wasn't too scary, you know, because like I said, it didn't chase us like some UFOs. Right. You hear about them chasing planes, chasing cars. And I was just, you know, I kept looking back. Is it chasing us? Is it behind us? But no, once it dove, it was, it was gone. It was done. Well, I don't know if anybody on the ground saw it. <laughs> wow. That's, that's just fat. You know, when it dove, did it disappear? Did it, you know, become invisible? Did it? go into a cloud somewhere, do something, you know, I I like that. I like the fact that it also, I like the fact that it didn't chase you because that that's bad enough in a car. Yeah. (laughs) I would not want (laughs) to be in an aircraft and have something like that messing around. That's, that's too much. Yeah, it is. It's dangerous. Yeah. So 
What other UFOs have you seen? Oh my gosh, tons. But most of them have been all over. Like, I can't really say that I've had a hot spot where I lived. Mm -hmm. I've seen them in Florida. I've seen them in Michigan. I've seen them in Ohio. I've seen them in West Virginia. Um, but my UFOs are almost always what I like to call the little flashers. Mm -hmm. um, I think John Keel mentioned those in Operation Trojan Horse with uh, Mrs. Butler, who saw these things that were flashing in the yard and, and they would flash in rhythm, they would flash in mm -hmm. sequence and try to communicate with her. Well, I've seen the little flashers, but I've also seen them zip around. Oh, my microphone's like falling off. Um, yeah, I've seen them like do these little loop-de-loop -loop maneuvers or whatever. Um, nothing too exciting with the little flashers until last year when I started noticing they would just appear right under the Big Dipper every single night, like clockwork. And they were bright blue, bright purple in nature. And they would just flash on and off in little sequence patterns, almost like a Morse code. I tried to write down what they were doing, but I couldn't, you know, I couldn't get any particular rhythms or whatever because they go away before they flashed enough times to like form any kind of information. So I don't know if it was just like uh like some kind of will of the wisp or if it was an actual object or something in deep space but they were bright and they were not satellites because i've been watching the sky since i was 12. i've seen all sorts of satellites um satellite glints iridium flares mm -hmm. these are not satellites uh, they're they're extremely bright and they stay in one place just flashing in that one place yeah. over and over again all night long Right. It's just so weird. And the other night, uh, actually about a week ago, I should say, I saw about four or five of them in one place. And this purple flash appeared behind me like it was right behind my head. I know that sounds insane, but <laughs> it was like it was right behind me between my house and my head as I was watching the flashers. So up in I don't the know sky if that had something to do with or it. down lower, down low. The oh. flash was like right behind my head. OK. Okay, so, yeah. well, you've listened, so you know I'm fascinated with those little guys. Um, oh, yeah. And have a lot of experience watching them myself. So, yeah, I'm I'm yeah. open for all the stories, and no, I don't think you're crazy if it was right behind your head, <laughs> because I've talked with so many people who've had them right behind their head or right over their head or just 100 feet up, and, yeah. yeah. And yeah. so many times people say they're purple or blue. There's something about that purple or blue color that I don't know if it's just their, their wavelength, their frequency, or if it's code for something. But every time I see them, they're purple or blue. They're never gold. They're never white. They're never yellow. And the one that was right behind my head was like an indigo purple. That was the first time I've had one right behind me like that. So that was really, that was really weird. <laughs> Did you feel anything behind you? I did. I felt like somebody was behind me, but I looked around and there was nobody there after the flash. Hmm. Nobody, no bear, no cat, no nothing. It was just like, it was like there was this weird, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of like a good way to describe it. Like a, um, not like an energy or, or like a, a vibe, but it was more like somebody was really there. Right. Like I almost felt like there were, there could have been footsteps or something, but it wasn't really an energy it was it was really hard to describe but then the flash happened and it was gone before I could register what was happening wow 
Um, yeah. Ever see anything orange? Yes, I mm -hmm. did see an orange orb in 2011. I was on a vacation in Lake Delavan, Wisconsin with a friend. And we were sitting uh, looking at the at the lake just saying, hey, you know, what a nice night, right? Mm. And this orb about maybe a thousand feet in the air appeared on the other side of the lake and it was glowing orange, it was glowing red, and it alternated between orange and red. And it zigzagged like every UFO seems to like to do, mm -hmm. zigzag. <laughs> and it turned turquoise about five minutes in and shot up into the air. Wow. Well, it has Earthquakes. good color sense. Um, yeah, that, that's my favorite you know, complimentary color yeah. scheme as a painter. So, you know, th oh, yeah. they have taste. I'll give them that. <laughs> <laughs> they do. They're stylish. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm definitely an orb and flasher person. Most of my UFOs, I haven't seen any like nuts and bolts, big, you know, metallic rotating objects or anything. But Lots of orbs and spheres and flashers, mainly. Yeah. Do they, Well, did it start when yeah. you were a kid? Yeah, it did. When I was a kid, I was like, okay, well, I don't really believe in aliens because I thought, you know, it was sort of, I don't know, like, oh, you don't believe in Santa Claus anymore at that age. I was like, well, I don't believe in aliens because I don't believe in Santa Claus. I was like six, seven years old trying to be the big kid. Mm -hmm. And my mind got changed pretty quick yeah. <laughs> I'm like I don't know maybe maybe I should think twice about about that opinion <laughs> <laughs> what changed your I mean, mind I saw, like men in black in the yard oh there was men in black oh, oh yeah okay just just yeah. tell me all this I need to know <laughs> okay everybody yeah, else does um, too apparently yeah it was crazy I was probably seven maybe eight and I had this big backyard with a tree line that separated our property from a little farm behind us. And the tree line was thick-ish. And um, every now and again, I, I went to ask my parents, I said, you know, who are these people? And why are they in the yard? What, what are they doing on our property? They wore trench coats and fedoras. And at that age, I had not been exposed to any John Keel or Men in Black literature or any of that. You know, I had no idea. I was just a, a, a kid. Yeah. And I, I was scared because I was like, why are these people in our yard? Because that's where I liked the, to play. Yeah. And yeah, we saw them about two or three times. And, you know, I never told anybody about UFOs or whatever. But, you know, maybe it was some of the orbs or spheres or whatever that I saw as a kid that they were investigating or what, but they were in the yard. And I mean, maybe rationally speaking, we had some weird neighbors that were just being weird. I mean, that's always possible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can't discount. You never that. do know. Yeah, I mean, you have to be realistic about it because people are weird. But it was strange as a kid to see the trench coats and the fedoras. And I was thinking, you know, what is it? What is it that they're seeing? Yeah. And it was around that same time that I saw um, the mushroom. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's what I like to call the story is the mushroom, because I don't really know what else to call this thing. I was like probably six, seven years old. And I was walking through that same tree line uh, that the men in black were, or whoever they were, were investigating. And I was with my, um, my half brother 
and he was much older than me and he would always come over and like babysit me when I was a little kid or whatever. And I saw in the forest, I kind of veered off from where he was. I saw this bright yellow thing. I mean, it was about four and a half feet tall and it had a big cap on it like a mushroom, but the cap was flat and vaguely butterfly shaped. Like it had four kind of lobes mm-hmm. or whatever. And it was bright yellow around the cap. The trim was blue, it had like a blue ring around the edge of the cap and four bright red spots in the middle. I was like, what is this? <laughs> my, my half brother, he was kind of behind me about maybe 60, 80 yards. And I'm like, yo, you gotta come see this. You gotta come see this. And by the time I found him and took him back, this thing was gone. And he thought I was just BSing him. And everyone I told, I was like, mom, there's something back there. And oh, you're hallucinating. You're hallucinating. But I saw it. I saw it and it freaked me out. Yeah, that's a that's a freak out moment. Because it was huge. Yeah, that I mean, there there are large mushrooms like I have gone out into our dog run and found mushrooms that were bigger than my hand that popped up overnight after like, you know, days and days of rain. Um, They're poisonous, uh, not super, I mean, it won't kill your dog, but it will make them really sick. So, you know, of course we had to cut them out. Uh, They can be big, but I'm I'm thinking four feet tall. I'll I'll look it up, but I I think four feet tall is, that disappears is another thing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah i was thinking maybe the fairies put it there maybe the fairies moved it away i don't yeah. know but or it was it had an aura it had did a visible physically visible aura yeah it was like a like a hazy again turquoise and some funny about that color like a bluey green mist around it and it felt like danger like if i got anywhere closer to that thing something not very good would happen. I mean, maybe that was just my brain thinking, okay, poisonous mushroom, I better run. But it was stronger than that. I mean, it emanated the weirdest, just the weirdest feeling of get away from me. So I did, but, you know, I wanted to find my my big brother and be like, hey, you know, can you check this out? But it was gone. And uh, how, how old were you? I was about seven, eight, maybe. Okay. Oh, yeah, nobody believed me. <laughs> yeah, the, that's prime not believing kids time. And and exactly. that's a shame because th- that's that's a thing that, yeah. That's not a thing that a kid would make up. That's the thing. I'm sitting here going, maybe if a kid had seen, just seen like the Disney Alice in Wonderland, maybe, maybe. Right maybe you know like wishful thinking but i was genuinely terrified and it was just sort of irritating me because nobody seemed to believe how scared i was because i was i mean i thought that thing was some kind of evil whatever (laughs) yeah yeah no i'm glad you didn't touch it uh because i i I don't know that that sounds like a bad idea uh (laughs) and and you had sense enough as a as a kid to not touch it Oh, yeah. wow. It's yeah, almost like well, when I was eight, yeah. you know, what it could have been something disguising itself. 
and it was the only yeah. thing they could think up like quickly. Yeah, yeah, they might have just said, oh, what goes in a forest? A mushroom. Okay, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> yeah, and then they get all these weird colors and stuff, and it's like, okay, well. <laughs> yeah, they screw it up a little. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. I think that was actually my first quote-unquote um, paranormal or otherworldly experience was that mushroom and then like I said the orbs the men in black all followed but I never got into it like I never really got into anything ufology or paranormal until I was in my 20s when I started to say you know maybe I should stop caring what people think and maybe I should look into some more of this stuff and that's when I realized paranormal isn't paranormal at all i mean it's just part of reality that people don't understand yet and yeah. may never understand yeah that's that's basically the way i look at it that it's actually yeah. way more normal than than not it is because there's so many more people experiencing these things in various ways seeing hearing smelling you know all of those things just seem to happen and they do and it's i'm glad that people are talking about it now uh because it's a lot it's a lot more common to hear people talk about this stuff now but still there is a, a stigma about it and yeah, yeah there always will be <laughs> yeah yeah i mean at least in, in this phase of society there always will be maybe one day in like the grand future there'll be some discovery or whatever that, you know, hey, maybe we should just live in harmony with this stuff and, and stop judging it and stop making assumptions about it and the people that are aware of it. Yeah. That's the problem. Everybody makes assumptions that, you know, oh, this stuff is made up or, oh, it's just, you know, some misidentification of something else. But, you know, maybe it's not. And, you know, maybe people need to just understand that it's okay to not know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's just, well, there's just so many facets to it. And it's so much weirder than people think. Yeah. You know, when when Keel was investigating UFOs, and he'd come across other investigators, and he'd look at the data that they were throwing out, that they were getting rid of, because it was too weird. You know, yeah. people having psychic experiences before or after a, a UFO uh, experience or yeah. having poltergeist phenomena happen, you know, before or after. And, right. you know, that's just, see, I, even as a kid, I was kind of like, that's not how Mr. Spock does science. Um, he, he tends to take all the data and, and then figure it out, you know, and I also yeah. grew up reading Sherlock Holmes, and I'm like, Sherlock Holmes does not disabuse himself of a piece of evidence, you know, he, even if it's weird, you know. Sure. He, that's what you're supposed to do. And now people are doing it more, more radically than they had before, but people still kind of toss stuff out and go, oh, that's too weird. We can't. We can't even with that. Well, I'm a big picture person. And I, I agree that, you know, a lot of it is tossed out. And that's bad science. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, no matter how you look at it, it's bad science. Yeah. But look at humans from ages ago. Look at animals. What I say is 
animals and humans and, you know, and well, humans are animals, but, you know, mm -hmm. looking at it from a human perspective, so to speak, um, we're all probes. Every living thing is a probe of the environment. You know, we are, as everybody likes to say, oh, the universe understanding itself, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But really, we're like probes. And all, all the stuff that we all learn um, and we all record is akin to like a probe um, gathering data mm -hmm. on a on an alien planet or on the moon or something, you know. And we have to to look at all of that data because over thousands and thousands and thousands of years, you know, humans have been able to record this stuff, you know, write it down mm -hmm. on rocks, on papyrus, <laughs> you yeah. know. It yeah. all points to the same thing. Every single religion, every single belief system, every ritual, no matter if you agree or disagree with it, points to that humans have always been aware that there is another side, another dimension to existence that we cannot see or touch on a normal daily basis. Right. Every single religion has some element of that in it, whether it's a, a heaven or a spirit realm or an astral plane or, or other dimensions, you know, from a scientific standpoint. And maybe, you know, we don't understand it and maybe we've been trying to understand it for all these years, but to just toss out any notion of, you know, we can't see it, we can't touch it, so therefore it's not there. That's, I think that's the biggest flaw of modern science. Yeah. Yeah. It, and, and I, it's not like I blame science for it in a way because they're like, well, we don't have the technology to interface with it or measure it and i'm like dude you have humans hello <laughs> right we exactly. some I mean, of us equipment. some of us can interact with that stuff and you did then we can record at least the experiences people have had and and look at that yeah exactly and look at it as a big picture not just individual experiences but patterns within mm -hmm. that as ufologists, I've always, you know, in my research, I have always compared large, uh, large pools of data and patterns. And I did a lot of that with electromagnetism for a while because of my, my training and my experience. You know, my first thought is, okay, UFOs burning people or causing electromagnetic disturbances. And I thought, well, you know, I can, I can understand some of that stuff. So I looked for patterns. Um, you know, I looked for, um, witness descriptions that all kind of lined up and I, you know, I haven't really come to any particular conclusions, but I have found, you know, some ways that um, these, these, I, I don't want to call them UFOs per se, but some of these high strangeness events interplay with some of the frequencies and harmonics in the physical world. Mm -hmm. Cause they do. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's, they, they do. Cause what happens when they come through, they affect something. Mm -hmm. That's how they come through. Yeah. Yeah, there. Yeah. Yes, and I've been looking at that as well, especially with my anomalous lights research. Um, yeah, there are correlations between colors and wavelengths of invisible light and visible light. They and, and effects physically. So yeah, it, it it's it's fascinating but you know again i don't know what we're gonna you know pick up and and learn from it but any learning's good yeah well i don't think we're gonna learn much of anything you know for for a long time because it's all just one little piece of the puzzle 
Mm -hmm. you know, electromagnetism is one piece. Um, you know, the spiritual side of it's another piece. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all one giant puzzle. And until we've got all those pieces in place, we're not going to understand Doodly Jack. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Pe people have asked, you know, why are you writing a book about anomalous lights? And I'm like, well, because that's a piece. That's a piece of it. And it seems to be existing within all of the paradigms of the paranormal. So yeah. that's that's a sort of a universal piece that that you know you can fit in in very many different places and uh yeah those little flashers yeah. are as much a part of it as the big ufos you know the big orbs that people yep. see um and the basketball sized spheres they're all in there they all have yeah. something to do with something Yes, they do. I mean, I've been seeing those little flashers since I was maybe nine, eight, nine. And that was before all the satellites, Starlink, et cetera, were all all over the place polluting the sky. I mean, you can see those things go by. And sometimes I'll see like a tumbling satellite and think, oh, it's a little flasher. But then, you know, I notice that it's moving as it flashes. And I'm like, nope. Yeah. But the flashers are so bright. They're blinding and they're instantaneous. Yeah. That's what separates them from satellites is they yeah. flash and and they're gone. <laughs> yeah. 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 Morgana and, then and they I. they flash again. Yeah. Morgana and Fox and I have all watched those together. And and you can tell a satellite, you know, Fox was, was funny. She, he was like, how do you tell a satellite from one of these these things and i said okay well we'll see if satellite eventually so hold on we'll see one and it's like see that see that it's going straight it's still going straight it's still going straight <laughs> i was yeah, like they exactly don't, they don't do the zigzaggy falling leaf going downstairs no. they they are on a trajectory that's it they are in an orbital trajectory that does not change Unless yeah. you happen to watch and, you know, they hit a piece of something or something. But that's yeah. not likely. You would know. Yeah, it would be obvious. <laughs> and Yeah, that'd be, a, that'd be a show. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, the, the other ones, I'm like, they see, there you go. There you go. The ones that look like stars that then move into different constellations, those are, those are, my, one of my favorites it's like oh well yeah look at that isn't that yeah fascinating it's making a circle over our heads well let's oh, write those that are down beautiful uh-huh oh my gosh those are those are even more exciting than the flashers because they draw these beautiful patterns in the sky s shapes mm -hmm. figure eights l i you know of course the falling leaf yeah, yeah oh yeah they love <laughs> that yeah. one yeah, I don't know what that signifies, but they all do it eventually. You watch them long enough. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I I completely agree with that. They will, they will do any number of things, and and they do seem to want to communicate something. But I they do. I you know yeah. I don't know. Yeah, what. I don't know what, but <laughs> yeah. Well, my thoughts are you know UFOs. Everybody expect expects like this giant huge metallic thing you know they want independence day they want you know like the the ones that um what's his name george adamski or whatever yeah. with the big disc on top and yeah that's what they expect but you know that's cultural if you notice as culture changes over the years the shape of 
flying saucers and triangles or whatever, that changes. But mm -hmm. what never changes is the lights. Yeah. That has been consistent from as long as mankind has been able to record what he has seen in the sky. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It is. Yep. And if you watch long enough, if you've, if you've been looking at them for long enough, you can tell the difference between meteorites and, you know, comets are easy. They're really yeah. easy. They look like a comet and they hang in the sky. Um, yeah, exactly. And they're huge. Well, not really. They just look huge. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it, it's just, it amazes me that, that this has been going on for so long and people still argue, A, that it's not going on. That's my favorite one. And yeah. it, B, about what it is. And, right. And... I'm kind of like, at this point, I'm agnostic about it. It's like, I don't really, nobody knows what it is. And nobody's probably going to know in my lifetime <laughs> what it is. So I don't really care what it is. I'm just recording what it's doing. And one of the things yeah. that, that I seem to have found out is they are they seem to be more and more people either looking for them and seeing them or suddenly being able to see them. Hmm. I, I have talked with so many people. They also seem to change people, whether, yeah. whether they're in close contact with people or not. The people who have close contact with them are more apt to change. But yeah. uh, it, I, I am wondering at you know all of these people seeing things and being able to record them uh in photographs or uh videos because the first time i started seeing them back in the 90s none of us thought to take photographs of it because we were like we figured it was in our brains that it was right. something putting a, a vision of lights into our brains we didn't really think it was physically there I have, sure. I have since changed my mind on that, but, you know, I mean, that's back then you had to have film, put it in your camera, and you didn't carry it with you everywhere. Now we have phones that you can take pictures with. Um, yeah. That exactly. makes it a lot more likely for people to, to photograph it. But we always figured if we photograph it, it's not going to be in there. Uh, right, right. Shows what Well, we there know. was somebody that did. Oh, yeah. I have. Dorothy. Yeah, I mean, I have seen videos but it's kind of the problem with videos and what i don't like about them is cameras are are kind of flawed they're not as high def even today yeah. as we'd like them to be at least the private ones you know like let's put it on phones or whatever yeah but you say okay yeah we see these little flashes on the video but how do we know it's not just the camera picking up an airplane or something and then the plane flies into a cloud it's just too blurry to really yes to trust it. My my feeling about videos and photos is it doesn't really prove anything to anyone except the person who took it. Yeah, I'd say that sums it up. <laughs> um, and the, you know, in my case, the the first time that I even looked at the flashers through my phone, I did not expect hmm. to see them through my phone. Now, why yeah. I didn't photograph them, I don't know, except that I had this. <laughs> kind of weird idea that I just shouldn't do it. 
Yeah. Um, but the fact that I could look at them with my naked eye, then pop, you know, pop my head down into my phone, you know, screen and go, oh, it's still there. Oh, okay. I'm looking at it with my eyes and I'm looking at it yeah. through the phone. Eyes, phone. And that proved to me that we have real life photons out there floating about making little blinky flashy orb things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there exactly. Is, At least you know. <laughs> there is a physical part to it. And I think that's what the the videos and the, the photographs do for most people is it yeah, corroborates yeah. to them that they're not crazy. Yeah, that's reasonable. I haven't filmed mine, but like I said, you know, I have seen the videos. Um, like I said, I don't really trust them because I'm not the one who took them and I didn't see it, but I don't think I would really benefit from recording them either because like you said, I mean, you know, the video doesn't really prove anything except for the person that took the video. Yeah. yeah. And my cameras aren't that great anyway. I mean, I, I'm borrowing an Android phone right now. I usually use a flip phone that has a potato for a camera. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and as, as a pilot, I like to carry, you know, a real durable phone with me. Sometimes I use um, an Android for the navigational backup equipment, but I like to carry a real durable emergency style phone that if I drop it or if, if it gets banged up in an incident, you know, it'll still be functional and, yeah. you know, I can communicate on it. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. It's like a survivalist thing. <laughs> no, that's a perfectly reasonable, you know, way to look at a phone. I mean, it, it is a tool that is really... Yeah. It shouldn't be our life, you know. <laughs> it should right. just be a yeah. tool. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't even get me started on that. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. what kind Airplanes. <laughs> yes. So, what kinds of... Right. Uh, what kinds of investigations have you done? Mostly um, field investigations. Private, just for me. Mm -hmm. I thought about writing a book for a while, but I, I abandoned the idea because I decided during my research that no matter what, there are as, as many strong opinions as there are people. And these days it seems like uh, ufology is becoming such a, a mainstream thing that um, you know, it's just sparking politics and arguments. So I figured I'm gonna wait, you know, I'm not gonna write my book now, but I am gonna do research for myself um, and I will share that research with people like you and anybody else that's listening that are curious about this stuff. Um, most of my research has involved um, energies, electromagnetism, infrasound, and um, any kind of, um, I could say, parapsychological um, elements to UFO hotspots. So in other words, I travel to UFO hotspots and I record what I find. <laughs> cool. Cool. Yeah. One of those was uh, recently I stopped by uh, Point Pleasant mm -hmm. in May. And I thought, all right. So, you know, this was where a lot of stuff obviously <laughs> happened. And I wanted to see what I could find about the topography of the place, mm -hmm. the, um, the general flow, um, the sounds, the energy, um, basically the anima of the place, because places have an anima, no matter mm -hmm. how you look at it, uh, over time, experiences, animal life, colonization, and all of that stuff 
almost forms the basis of what could be looked at as a soul of of a location and it doesn't necessarily have to be a city it could be anything you know a a wide open area a splash of ocean but those experiences over time build build up that place's soul or anima and um you know i kind of you know i kind of follow some pagan style um faith or whatever i mean i'm not like I don't really consider myself pagan per se, but I, I have hung around that for many, many years. And I've always agreed with a lot of, a lot of the whole, okay, you know, there are spirits and everything. There's, there's tree spirits, there's nature spirits, and you can communicate with that stuff. And it can tell you these stories and places have these stories to tell. And when I went to Point Pleasant, um, the first thing I noticed um, was that it was very, um, it was very alive. The motion of the river, uh, especially around the bridges, created a lot of infrasound. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had an infrasound detector. I, I detected that the levels of around 19 hertz and about 8 hertz were pretty high, especially at a high traffic time because I was there around rush hour. So. Right. <laughs> and I was thinking, you know, the infrasound is known to make people feel like they're seeing things that aren't there. And, mm-hmm. You know, we know that's true. It can make you hallucinate or whatever. But sometimes the infrasound um, I found can also um, enlighten you, so to speak, can make you more aware of things that you would have otherwise overlooked. Mm-hmm. So if you know, for instance, let me backtrack. Uh, if you're standing on a hill somewhere in, say, southern West Virginia, like where I live right now, um, you'll say, okay. You know, this is the sky. Here it is. There's nothing there. I'm just going to go about my business. But if you're if you're just having that same night in an area where there's you know high levels of motion or infrasound or anima, um, it puts your brain into like an automatic heightened alertness where mm-hmm. you're naturally more capable of detecting things that are subtle, things that you otherwise would have overlooked in a less alerted state. Right. So you might you might notice something very small, like a, a light in the sky that you wouldn't have seen or motion in the woods that would have otherwise gone unnoticed. And I found that Point Pleasant, because of its topography, because of the infrasound and the flow, it puts your brain immediately into that state. It makes it a lot easier to notice subtle things. Mm-hmm. In other words, it makes you jumpy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, right. It sets your, your spidey senses tingling. Exactly. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're just, you know, hallucinating random things, you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, oh my gosh, you're just, you're just having trouble because of the infrasound. What it implies is that you're just more sensitive as a probe. Like how I was saying earlier, people are technically probes. Well, it, it turns the sensitivity up on the probe. And I think a lot of places do that. And it's not just the infrasound, it's the flows of the water everywhere. Um, the way that the the hills roll, the way the wind goes through them, um, you know, and it's like that here in southern West Virginia too. The hills just stop any and all wind at certain times, mm-hmm. and it's it's so dead quiet in the night. It almost has the same effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, that was my my latest thing is I've been studying just how certain environments affect the human mind. <laughs> Well, that's a that's a very fertile field of of uh, research, I think, because I know that when I spent 
uh, weekends and weeks with my grandparents out on their farm um, back in the 70s and early 80s when I was doing that, uh, where they lived was not terribly uh, uh, well populated. You know, I mean, sure. there were people out there, um, but th their houses weren't like, you know, stacked on top of each other. And right. up on the top of the ridge, we got the wind, but it was so quiet otherwise and so dark, you know, yeah. and I spent most of the rest of my time in the capital city. So there's streetlights and traffic all the time. Even in our little quiet neighborhood, there was always, you could sure. hear um, everything that went on and it became this kind of buzz behind everything. And uh, yeah. when I was out at their house, the very first night, I never slept. Um, and then the oh second my. night, I sort of slept. And I, I didn't, you know, ease up until about three nights in. There, there were nights oh that I just did not sleep because of that feeling of there is so much in the dark that I don't know what it is, <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah, exactly. And, exactly. you know, I, yes, there, and I was really good at being able to tell what cow sounds were and dog sounds were and, you know, all of that stuff. Yeah. I could, I could identify it, but, you know, I swear, also the other problem was on the ridge across the road from them, there was the large high voltage lines, the big, oh, yeah. massive. So I'm sure the electromagnetic field from those was doing no one any favors. No, it never does. But the thing about electromagnetism is there's there's so much mixed um, mixed opinions on how it works with things beyond the visible world. Some people feel that proximity to that kind of thing makes it more difficult to connect to the unseen, but others feel that it helps it manifest. But I think that just really depends on the, the level of exposure, the, the frequencies, wavelengths mm -hmm. of the particular electromagnetic radiation. Dr. Robert Becker wrote a book called uh, The Body Electric in the 1980s. And he talked about all the different ways that different levels of, of electromagnetic radiation can affect the human body, the human mind. And he even mentioned a little about what's called synthetic telepathy or microwave auditory effect, where microwaves, uh, literal microwave beams, basically, not, not like your microwave oven, right. but microwave radiation can be pulse modulated at certain frequencies and power outputs to create the illusion of human speech directly inside of the mind of the victim. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I'm wondering how much of that, you know, the, the world that we cannot detect with equipment or probes at this point um, uses similar mechanisms, perhaps not with frequencies that humans are capable of producing, but perhaps on a whole nother level of frequencies that humans have yet to discover how to interact with. Yeah. Some kind of subcarriers or something that leech off of our frequencies. Yeah. So that would explain why certain electromagnetic areas are more, um, I guess, friendly to paranormal encounters and others seem to just block them off. Yeah. 
Yeah. I also, yeah. one of the things I, I look at is the electrical conductivity of, of soil in an yeah. area um, and any presence of underground water sources, springs, mm -hmm. uh, underground creeks and rivers, all of that. And generally, I have found that where there is a fair amount of water, weird stuff is going to happen if if yeah, there's especially a, flowing water yes if there's a lot of uh quartz in the in yeah. the bedrock in the even in you know the the surface rock there, there's going to be stuff um granite with tons of quartz almost every ufo hotspot has some sort of bedrock or surface rock that has huge amounts of quartz, especially granite. Yeah, yeah. And I think that might be true in that area where I was flying over and we saw that silver UFO bird thing. That was a high quartz area as far as I was told. Mm -hmm. I can't, you know, you can't quote me on that, but that's what I heard. And they were always finding quartz rocks there and everything, you know, so I'm thinking, well, oh, that might have something to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. also a correlation um, with uh, hydrocarbon deposits, coal, hmm. oil, natural gas, mostly coal, it seems. Uh, yeah. A pun. Didn't mean it. Um, coal seems. Uh, boy, things that'll come out of my mouth. <laughs> what? Uh, so when you've looked at electromagnetic energy in areas. I really like how you described the infrasound coming from the river because it made me yeah. think of Pascagoula, um, the Pascagoula River where uh, the two men were fishing and, and were abducted is called a singing river because sure. it makes sounds that sound like voices singing um yeah so yeah that does make me think you know what about all of these uh things that happen near lakes um ufos seen entering or exiting water um, yeah. because i had i had an uncle who lived up by lake erie literally you go outside of his house and climb up the dike and there was the lake um cool. for years you know we'd go and visit them and he would he would describe that there were you know large orange lights that would go into or out of the lake he would see them and mm. i've heard enough stories <laughs> from enough people about the the orange lights you know hovering around water or yep. high tension lines that's another place they like to hang out so yeah yeah, basically what you just described, uh, it was the super spectrum that, that Keel talked about was, you know, mm -hmm. other frequencies that we don't know about yet Yep. that interact yeah, with our, so good. yes, that interact with our <laughs> spectrum of. Yep. They're like a subcarrier. Yeah. Exactly. And they leech off of it. And Keel, he wasn't a radio guy. He, you know. I, I did a lot of research on John because I absolutely adore his works, his research, his style, his, his writing. He's just amazing. He was so cool. And I, I wish I could have met him. I really wish I could have talked to him. 
But, you know, I, I found from his biography that it seemed like he had no intentions of getting as, as good as he did. And he even scared himself at times because he got so close to figuring things out. And, you know, he didn't realize as he was doing this, how, how deep he was really going to go, how deep that rabbit hole went. Mm-hmm. And he just, you know, he, he put forth so many ideas that people didn't even want to think about before. So no matter what he thinks or thought rather of himself or no matter what he says about, oh, you know, I don't know what I was talking about with crypto terrestrials or whatever. Um, he knew what he was talking about. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he did. <laughs> he knew exactly what he was trying to say. But yeah, um, before I, I completely digress, um, I also spent some time in Welch, West Virginia. Mm-hmm. And um, I absolutely adore that little city. It's, it's, it's a mess. <laughs> it's a complete and total mess. Um, but it has some good people too. And it's got some beautiful rivers and tree lines. And I noticed at night, I saw more of our little flashers there than anywhere else I had ever lived or even spent the night in in my life. They were all over the Tug Fork River and over Browns Creek, and they were blue in color. And they would happen almost every single night without fail between the hours of 8 and 10 p.m. It was like clockwork in Welch. And I think, too, that has something to do with the fact that that's a really, really sleepy city. Um, There's no motion or anything at night. Nobody's really driving there. Nobody's walking there at night. So it it really it's a city that sleeps at night, or at least it was during the months that I spent in that area. Mm -hmm. Beautiful city, though. I wouldn't say there's any other paranormal activity that I've noticed there. Um, No, no ghosts, no fairy stories there, but um, definitely weird oppressive energies Um, when i was there i don't know what it was but i felt like i was in turbulence the entire time even just sitting in a chair um i would feel like i was i was just on an airplane going through an area close to a thunderstorm or something and it, it, it was it wasn't psychic energy or whatever it was just it was just bad energy in the place and i think that's because it's it's seen too much you know, Welch has had too many floods, it's had too much destruction, too much poverty, too much sadness, and too many coal mining disasters. And oh, yeah. I think that energy just, it just sits there because it's shaped like a bowl. It's, it's just yeah. a little V-shaped bowl. And I think the energy just sits there and doesn't really know where to go. Yeah. Have you ever read The Glass Castle by Jeanette Walls? I absolutely have. Yep. Okay. Yeah, they then talk you... about that a lot there. Yep. Yep. <laughs> she she spent a good half of her her childhood there. And mm, it wasn't a very good experience either. <laughs> no, it was not. But no. there is she doesn't come out and say it like you did that there was an energy there, but she all but says it, you know, that there yeah. was an atmosphere and energy that was you know, just just hung over that city. Or it you, is. And you know, as soon as you leave it, it's it's gone. As soon as you get out of that county, as soon as you go over to like Mercer County or Wyoming County, mm-hmm. the energy just seems to lift. And I really do think it's because of the pain that has been felt there, especially with all the flooding and the decline of the economy. And yeah. you can feel it. I mean, in the 1970s, when Jeanette Walls was there, um, that was just when it was starting to way go downhill. And I used to walk past the high school 
that she went to um, Welch High School. And now it's all covered in vines. Um, one side has been damaged by a landslide. The other side is being used as like a, you know, an extracurricular education area for parents and kids. But, you know, one of the one of the buildings is completely consumed by nature. And, you know, I can just feel that there was so much so much trouble in the later years of that school. It, it cries, you know, it's like, yeah. you know, I'm done. Just let the, let nature kill me already. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. 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 It's been years since Beautiful. I've driven through Welch, but I, I do remember, you know, my my dad talking to me about you know how it used to be this thriving place and and you know how yeah. the how beautiful the buildings were the architecture oh, yeah, was architecture. but yeah. you know i was kind of like but there's nothing here and he was like well it didn't used to be that way yeah it, up until about the late 1960s it was pretty good and then after the late 60s it was a slow slow decline and by the 80s it was done they're trying to revive it now as like a atv off-roading vacation spot or whatever but it's going to take a while because the rest of the county is so depressed it's going to be hard for welch to, to yeah. gain any traction yeah but i love west virginia so yeah <laughs> you know i'm always rooting for yeah. all these little towns hoping for the best <laughs> i yeah i agree with you on that 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 it's it's hard it's very, very hard. Um, West Virginia has always kind of had a an air of being left behind in yeah. in time. Um, yes, it did. You know, when when I used to have a food blog, I'd talk about you know li living with my grandparents in you know over long periods of summer, and that we would go visit them through the school year on you know almost all the weekends, not quite, but most of them. And there was always something that we were doing, you know, we were preserving food, we were harvesting, we were planting, we were, um, you know, butchering animals and, and all of the things, you know, or animals were being born and we were taking care of them. And they would say, you know, it's like you lived halfway in Laura Ingalls Wilder's childhood and halfway in just a a city childhood you know a modern yeah. city childhood and i was like well okay so west virginia in the 70s was kind of like everywhere else in the 60s <laughs> that was like it, oh yeah it, pretty much <laughs> it, it 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 took a little while for all of the change that was happening everywhere else real fast to get to us and you know yeah. once it did get to us it, it you know it was it was all right but you know it, there's always been a little bit of a of a slowdown when you when you get sure. there um and even yeah. though honestly john denver was writing about virginia not west virginia the <laughs> the line from his song almost heaven life is old there older than the trees i i was like yeah yeah yep <laughs> <It is. laughs> yep 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 it's so so behind here but you know i think one day it'll change i don't know why but maybe it's because you know i'm a unapologetic optimist or whatever but i see some good happening down here in these hills and i mean I, of course i'm leaving so you know what's what does that tell you but <laughs> yeah i'm i'm hoping to get up like further up toward the point pleasant area like maybe north of charleston somewhere but 
we'll see. But I just I love the state. You know, I love the way um, I love the way I can connect with nature here because I am an absolute nature spirit of the finest kind. And I'm not I'm not myself if I cannot connect to water and trees. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty much how I feel too. Um, yeah, and that that is one thing that's that about Athens is good is you can you know in even in the city you can be completely surrounded by trees um, yeah i love that area up there it's so beautiful and and you know it's a good place to see a ufo <laughs> oh yeah 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 if you, if you if you sit out and watch long enough you'll see something um, oh definitely or you'll see the you know weird little lights in the backyard and you know sometimes yeah, like they go the in your house or yeah and then then it's yeah. just like well okay whatever um just let me go to the bathroom and then you can have the rest of the house. All right. Just, <laughs> just, you know, be, yeah. don't be rude. Don't come in with me. Don't stop me from yeah. going there. Uh, There's a line. <laughs> yeah. We're just, we're just gonna pull that. In. Yeah. It, it's funny when, when uh, Fox is in camp and, you know, people ask him where he lives and he says, oh, Athens, Ohio. And they look at it on Google Earth. They're like, there's nothing there. It's just trees. <laughs> there's so many trees. Oh, my God. There's just so many trees. Because <laughs> most of them are from New York City or, you know, yeah. somewhere in the suburbs in New Jersey or New York. And they're like, oh, my God, it's all trees. I was like, well, you should you should show them West Virginia. Because if you fly over right. West Virginia, it really does look uninhabited in places there's oh, just it does. so much land that you could just go through and not see a person oh i know and who knows yeah, and... what lives in those woods <laughs> yeah i think a, a friend of mine around here said uh yes do not look in the forest look at the forest just don't look in them <laughs> mm -hmm. yep yep yeah, I mean, we see all kinds of weird stuff here. I mean, I know everybody talks about fairies or whatever, and I didn't want to, like, bring a million fairy stories. I, I had my, my mushroom story, but I remember um, you did that um, that show several weeks ago about the the little wood-skinned creatures that mm -hmm. are about, like, a foot and a half tall. And mm -hmm. I used to see so many of those things, even up in the Midwest and in Michigan. And mm -hmm. uh, I used to call them the Nepens when I was a kid for some dumb reason when I was like 12, 13, because that's what one of them had like written on its shirt. It was wearing a human shirt. It's like it, it but one foot tall. And there was like a million more of them behind him that were like six, seven inches tall. And they scared me to death. Oh, they yeah. scared me to death like they always do. Yeah. And, you know, they come in and wreck everything. You know, your, your toilet paper's all tore up like there's a cat in there. We didn't even have a cat at the time. You know, weird stuff like that. And one day, um, I, they just formed a truce with me. I went out and I saw a bunch of a bunch of them in the woods. And I saw this little green heart-shaped rock. And it had like a little hole in the top, like to make a necklace out of it. And they were all standing around it. And they, they just gave it to me like it was some kind of a truce or whatever. And they never gave us any trouble since. I took the rock and and it was like a sign of friendship. And that was it. They they left us alone from there out. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's really good. I wish I, I wish I had kept the rock. I don't know where it went. Well, that's that was also, cool. I was about to say that's also part of it. When, when it's done, 
when when it's its purpose is finished it it disappears always gifts like that yeah. happen and then disappear and they go to the next person uh, because yeah. here i am i am the person who has rocks appear in her house for no reason um <laughs> and uh i fully expect them to disappear at some point um and i also have things disappear fairly regularly so whatever maybe it's a thing on the stairs is taking them from you or yeah or trading them out with somebody <laughs> out i mean he might have you know a trading partnership with the, the guys up the hill i don't know uh um, <laughs> it could be he uh he's an interesting little creature so sounds like it yeah whatever he is uh, uh yeah <laughs> so you you what did you call them the nephants yeah, like the Naffins, like N-A-F-F-I-N. Okay, yeah. Naffins. I'm going to yeah, have to look that look... up and see if it yeah, comes I never did look it up. in any language. Because that's interesting. Yeah, and if F doesn't work, I might have mistaken. It might have been Naffins, like a P or an A-F with one end or something. I mean, you might try a few different spellings, but... That's what I saw, and they were they were there for a few years, and like I said, the heart shaped rock, and that was it. No more trouble. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 Most people have seen those. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. There's there's a fair amount of people that I know who have seen them. Um, yeah. And and some of them are natives, and some of them are you know you know from colonized populations so sure. some of those i'm pretty sure were here before all of the colonization period started happening but some of them i think did come uh yeah. with us and yeah like and my as long as they stay out of my planes <laughs> yeah yeah don't no playing in there no no yeah. no no gremlin activity none of that nope right <laughs> No Foo Fighters. No, no, no. None of that. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah. You have to really watch it in seaplanes, you know, when you're around the water or whatever, flying seaplanes, you know, usually you don't really fly those at night. So generally you're probably good to go. But anybody that's flying seaplanes at, you know, sunrise, sunset, or any darker hours, I'd say be careful. Yeah. Because water is such a, you know, it's, it's such a hot spot for um, uninvited guests. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and there's always the, the Bermuda triangle with the weird, oh yeah. um, uh, geomagnetic, whatever it is that we don't yeah, know. And I'm sure there's more places like that too, that have yet to be discovered. They'll probably be discovered the hard way. That's, Sorry, something is clunking. <laughs> that's okay. That's, I mean, that's okay. how stuff is discovered usually it's yeah. not usually through <laughs> exactly. the easy way um no so yeah when you now have you had any other interesting experiences learning about electromagnetic energy you know out in the field um, kind of academic dry stuff for the most part um i have written down some stuff about ufos and the electric mind um, which is my little study on some of the electromagnetic effects that the brain has encountered 
in the vicinity of a UFO. Um, a lot of it is mm -hmm. based on some of the studies done by Bob Pratt in his book, UFO Danger Zone, where he talked about um, a lot of the events in Calaris, Brazil, where UFOs seem to be burning people and uh, yeah. causing weird um, auditory hallucinations and, and skin problems. But a lot of people, um, a lot of people kind of forget that UFOs, um, you know, they they can hurt you. You don't want to just go up and and approach them. I've been burned on my right hand after an encounter with a bright orb one time, and the burn lasted about two weeks. I couldn't do anything about the burn. I tried rash cream. I tried everything, but it did not it did not go away until about two weeks, no matter what I did. But most of what I've done on electromagnetism is pretty um it's pretty dry. <laughs> I don't know yeah. if you'd really be interested in it. Yeah. <laughs> it's so academic. Yeah. Okay. Well then Except, tell us about yeah. this burned on the hand business here. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> I was yeah. It, it is, I guess it's kind of interesting because I think a lot of UFO witnesses have been burned on their hand at least once in their life. Um, I was on my way back from staying at an airport with a few pilot friends up in northern Michigan, way up. And I had taken the train uh, back to Charleston, because that's where the nearest station to me is, is Charleston. I have to drive three hours to get to it and from it. But yeah, when I got to the station, um, I saw a weird light, of course, by the river. And I looked at it and looked at me, presumably. <laughs> and I didn't really think much of it because it did the same thing all the lights do. It just kind of flashed a little bit and then it decided to zoop off into the sky and leave no leave no trace, except I noticed when I looked out of my hand, it had this painful blistering rash on it all of a sudden that wasn't there just 15 minutes before. And I thought, okay, that's that's really weird. So I put cream on it, rash cream, tried everything, cortisone. Absolutely nothing I did made that burn go away. It was there for two straight weeks. Hmm. That was the first time and only time I'd ever actually been burned in the vicinity of any kind of high strangeness incident. Okay, so what color was it? The the object? Mm -hmm. That one was purple. Mm-hmm. And that was a purple one. How close were you? Jeez, oh, oh gosh, I didn't have a measuring stick, so <laughs> don't 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 just, hang me if I'm wrong yeah. here. <laughs> just just, just estimate half a football field, maybe. Okay, so fifty yards. Yeah. And how large did yeah, it appear the, at fifty yards? About the size of um, maybe like three times the size of your average beach ball. Okay, so three times size beach ball. Huh. That's yeah, and the whole experience only lasted like 30 seconds. It flashed a few times and then shot up and it was gone. I mean, that was it. It didn't like continue up or anything. It just disappeared when it went up. And after that, I'm just, oh, my hands burned. <laughs> and that's that, so weird. That was next to the Kanawha River? Yes. Huh. That was right by the train station. Yeah, I, I know basically where you're at. Yeah. Yep, that was a very weird one. But I've never actually been injured in the vicinity of 
any high strangeness besides that. I mean, it might have been a coincidence. Maybe I had an allergic reaction to something, but it wasn't there right before the object. So I, you know, I think maybe there's some correlation there. Maybe right. not, but you know, it's it's worth noting for sure. Yeah. No, that's that's an that's an interesting observation. It kind of goes with something that popped into my head a few days ago about um, the energy of of ufo lights yeah i yeah. haven't i haven't seen nearly as many of the shiny obviously physical um chrome looking things i've only seen two of those and yeah it, yeah first one scared the daylights <laughs> out of me because oh yeah i had well it was it was a case of i had read keel and I had been reading Keel for a while and, you know, I saw it and my mother was standing right next to me. She was talking about this weird bird she saw that was up in this tree. She pointed where it was, this red bird that was the size of a pigeon um, and didn't have a tuft on its head like a cardinal, but huh. it was bright red and there was no bird up there. I I looked, and but what I saw in between the branches of the tree was yeah. a silver bowl shaped object just drifting down like it was you know walking down a set of uh invisible stairs oh yeah the old falling leaf yeah yep. yeah and then it, it just it disappeared behind the roofs of houses and the whole huh. time i'm standing there with a camera and she's you know look at that bird i'm like i don't see a bird you know <laughs> like I, that's not a bird <laughs> and she's like yes it is it's right over there and, you know on and on and on and i'm looking at that thing and you know it we argued about it all the way home about a bird or a ufo and she you know made fun of me for not wow. taking a picture but i couldn't think i couldn't i forgot that the camera was even in my hand and i couldn't move so i was just staring at it by the time I got home and started thinking about it, I'm like, wait a minute, if I could see that, could it see me? And then I was just right. like paranoid for like a week. You know, I was just like, no, <laughs> I don't ever want to see that again. No, 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 no. You know. And oh, yeah, I yeah. hear you. <laughs> so I was 12. So I was kind of like, mm, no, 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 no. But right. obviously I went back to reading all this stuff and <laughs> got over it and was like, okay, well, it wasn't that bad. Okay. We can, we can sure, survive, sure. but yeah. But most of the time oh, I crazy. see the lights too. So. Yep. It's all lights for me, except for that one silver bird thing. But it's funny because so many physical looking UFOs seem to be reflective in nature and i'm wondering if there's some kind of a hint there as to what's going on maybe they're not actually shiny but there are bits of energy that are literally reflecting off of the environment around them mm -hmm. i don't know that could be could be um it could be that when you're not right up on them they reflect what's around them and so it makes them invisible yeah quote unquote yeah, that's invisible um right I just always, I was, I, I'm with Keel. I always figured that they were, you know, coming from another energy 
spectrum or yep. you know in the in the non-visible light spectrum and then into the visible light spectrum and yep. some of I, I sometimes think that they're they're mostly in the invisible light spectrum the not visible and they hang around most of the time in that general you know state of being so we don't know yeah. about them um, right and then when we do see them they just piggyback mm-hmm. on the visible spectrum yeah yeah that's yeah. that's pretty much how i've i've been thinking about it for a while and uh you know i've i've had i've had conversations with people where you know they they talk about how Keel's super spectrum was was a metaphor and I'm beginning to think no no I don't think it was a metaphor y'all I think he was talking about something actually actual uh, <laughs> not <Yeah. laughs> not just a, a wacky way of looking at things I don't think that he's wrong uh <laughs> anymore yeah and never i never really thought he was super wrong but you know i was kind of like i don't know i'm starting to get some data that's pointing me in directions so (laughs) or it could just be like with keel that he would get an idea and data would start coming at him that would support that idea and then he would you know get another idea and data would come in to support that and refute the other one so who knows (laughs) yeah well i think he'll you know sometimes even he didn't know when he was right or when he wasn't and there was one interview that i read from him a while back when he was asked you know okay so is it or is it not a metaphor and he said well no but it's a literary device i'm saying that you know we are controlling a lot of these energies. And, you know, he was saying, well, a lot of us aren't really picking that up. He felt like his readers weren't picking up that he was, that he was trying to show how much that the people and perhaps other animals on this earth interact with these things and can, can summon them unknowingly perhaps mm-hmm. or, um, or manipulate them or even fly them like a remote control airplane. I mean, how many times has someone, looked at a ufo and said hey you know i bet it's going to do this and sure enough it does <laughs> yep yep yeah i haven't tried sometimes yeah oh, I go think ahead sometimes keel was right yeah yeah sometimes keel was right and sometimes keel was wrong but you know what it doesn't matter when you're wrong what matters is when you're right you you note it down you learn something from it because everybody's wrong every researcher is wrong sometimes oh, and yeah. that's just part of it and skeptics you know or i wouldn't really say skeptics but like you know, the, the debunkers or whatever, they, they like to jump on the times when somebody's wrong and they, and they rub that in your face and they say, well, you screwed this one up. So you must've screwed it all up. And that's, you know, that's bad logic. That's bad science. Yeah. Every single person is wrong. Sometimes even Keel misidentified a few men in black, uh, you know, they turned out on further uh, investigation to be regular old people that were a little different. One of them being, um, Tiny, you might remember that big yeah. old guy that yeah. interviewed the Christiansons. He was from, I think it was either like Richmond, Virginia or DeKalb, Illinois. It was one of the two. But, you know, they thought, oh, he might have been a men in black. But, you know, he was just, just a curious fellow. Charles Bowen, the editor of Flying Saucer Review, ended up meeting him later. And that's how it was found out that he wasn't really any kind of men in black after all. 
Yeah. But hey, you know, you're going to you're going to miss a few sometimes. Yeah. The fact is you're going to. But that doesn't mean you're wrong all the time. No. Heel was right in so many ways. And when he was talking about he ha- he said a lot of people got burned, too, even after seeing Mothman or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they had burnt eyes like they were exposed to a welder's torch, um, burn burn patches on their skin. And he knew that that some kind of super spectrum or some kind of other other wavelengths that we haven't discovered yet are are affecting people. Yeah. And he may and he, he wasn't even a radio scientist and he just he knew. And that really impressed me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, you know, what's really interesting is he didn't go to college at all. He learned yeah. all of the science that he learned on his own through right. reading and through study. And mm-hmm. that I, I am always impressed with that because, you know, I mean, did he drop out? I think he dropped out of high school. I think he didn't even finish high school. I, I may be wrong. He yeah, may have finished it remember. and then left immediately and yeah. uh, went to New York City to become a reporter. And, you know, yep. back in those days, you could just do that. Um, right, exactly. So, you know, he, he even was a, a journalist the hard way, you know, not the <laughs> not the getting a, getting a degree and getting a job way. Um, right. So, yeah, I... Yeah, he was awesome. And I didn't really go to like full college either. My radar and avionics training was a technical school and we had to do it with the the federal communications and all that. And we had to have all those guys um, inspecting us. So we didn't really do like gen ed, etc. But we just did an intensive on all things electromagnetic, every antenna, every waveguide, every single thing that you're ever going to encounter in um, in radar and in aircraft. But, you know, most of my self-studying after that was just, you know, I went into the whole ufology thing uh, later on. But I just can't imagine learning all that stuff without, you know, a class or curriculum. Because even during class, a lot of that stuff, it was not easy. I mean, they had, you know, 800 question banks for the tests for this stuff where you're, you're literally calculating all this, all this math and all this crazy stuff. And. I'm thinking these people that self-study, they are so disciplined and so, you know, so intellectually profound. I just can't even fathom it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And the the math thing, I I bow to you. I'm terrible at it. Uh, Just no. Uh, I'm I'm okay at it. I wouldn't call myself great, but, you know, two plus two equals four, I think, maybe, kind of. Let me look at my fingers. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so you were talking about uh, the body electric. Is the, you know, I I'm fascinated with the electronic workings of the human body, the electric, the electric current that we possess, the way that you know uh, uh, thoughts go through our brains as electrical pulses. it's you know and people don't think about that you know new and i I always wonder why i mean okay so materialist science often is the the bugaboo among ufologists 
because, right. you know, it's like, well, that's not possible because of X, Y, Z. But materialist science tells us about the electrical workings of the brain and the amount of electrical energy that flows through our nervous system. And right. all of that very interesting stuff. And it, it just seems to me that that part of physical materialist science is a part that people need to look at more often. Um, yeah. And one of the, the people I know who looks at it is Gary Nolan, um, mm -hmm. because, you know, and he's found interesting things in uh, close contact uh, witnesses of UFOs in their brains through MRI scans. Um, right. And that is, that's kind of where I'm at. And he's, you know, he said something really interesting in an interview recently. He said he doesn't know if the effect happened before the UFO and that is why they could perceive the UFO hmm. or if it happened because of the UFO. Right. Now that's an important question. I know. I know. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I think about stuff like that a lot. It's, it's, it's a thing that, you know, I, I hope that there are other researchers now that, um, the, the United States government has said, okay, well they do exist and we don't know what they are and they're not ours and they're probably nobody else's either. So there you go. Yes, Which I exactly. thought was a huge admission, you know, for for a, a government that has traditionally been like, ah, no, you're seeing things. That's not it. It's not a thing. No, 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 no. You know, the only thing they ever said was no. Um, yep. <laughs> Project Blue Book. Ah, no, it's yeah. swamp gas. Yeah, yeah. Just an airplane with its lights on. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, you know, the whole... Project Blue Book was just, you know, people running around with their, their hands over their ears going, no, 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 no. Uh, that was yeah, the answer. Exactly. That was the Condon report. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, nope. yeah, exactly. And, yeah, well, remember that, remember that story um, with uh, the guy that, uh, I forgot exactly how it goes, but it was uh, mentioned in the Mothman prophecies later on when the, when the guy stumbled upon that underground base with all the people in white coveralls and they wanted to kick him out. And uh, the last thing the guy heard before they knocked him out and kicked him out of this weird underground facility was make him look like a nut. <laughs> yeah, 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 I like that. Yep, yeah, that's a- Make him look like a nut. I'm, I'm, that's my whole entire philosophy and what they have been doing to mm -hmm. those of us who dare study things that aren't kosher according to the government yeah <laughs> they want us to look like nuts so nobody takes it seriously yeah but now yeah. the tables have turned you know now they're like okay well you know there is something going on but the problem is with all this all this stuff in the news lately you got all these attention seekers and you know very um you know like hoaxers and enthusiastic people who just want a bite of it because now it's popular so yeah with social media or whatever it's it's a really easy way to get your 15 minutes of fame is making up a ufo sighting like what happened in vegas a few days ago or whatever yeah um with them landing in the yard or supposedly 
But well, yeah, and, so I've been I've been staying back. <laughs> yeah, the video for that, the video of the UFO looks like a green meteorite to me. Yeah, as a it tail, does. I agree. It's flaming. I yeah okay. So yeah, the cop saw it and it was on his you know camera on his vest and whoop de doo. It still looks like a meteorite i'm sorry it looks like a meteorite <laughs> i have seen so many meteorites in my life and that was just immediately clear to me too i agree yeah so i i mostly <laughs> am just like y'all just argue about that on your own i'm not getting into that no not touching it no um no not at all I'm yeah holding back lately and and again you know, the people who were disappointed by the announcement that, yeah, okay, so they're up there, they're weird, we don't know what they are, blah, blah, blah. I, to me, that was a huge thing. I was like, they finally admitted it. Finally. And yeah. everybody was like, they didn't say anything. They didn't really tell us anything. And I'm like, oh, my God. What do you want them to do? Yeah. <laughs> what do well, you yeah, send you a big picture of, like, the alien with a little card holding up with its name on it hi i'm uh i'm alien i'm from zeta reticuli nice to meet y'all <laughs> oh yes zeta reticuli mm -hmm. uh, of yeah <laughs> I, I know i know and i yeah that's why i'm not on ufo twitter and i just will not ever be on ufo twitter right I yeah i stay I away from that kind of stuff i just conduct my research in private you know i i use books real books um, my library includes, yes, the complete works of John Keel, duh, and also, actually pull it up and I can see my digital library here, I can tell you some of my, my favorites in my collections. I have a lot of FSR, a lot of Flying Saucer Review archives, I have a lot of, uh, I have the humanoid sighting reports compiled by Albert Rosales, and a lot of those are just complete crazy talk, but there's a few of them in there that are a little bit more interesting every now and again. Yeah. I've got documentation on the UFO investigation manuals from 1976 and 1979. I've got I've got some Whitley Strieber stuff. I've got some um, some of the stuff from classified unclassified annual reports from recently. And I have this crazy um, intelligence reference document all about field effects and electromagnetism with UFOs that is massively telling because they're saying, look, these military personnel have encountered these flying objects. They have been affected by them. They have been burned, et cetera, by them. And it's basically defense just admitting it. It's more, it's more revealing than that, that thing that you were just talking about. Yeah. Really cool stuff. Yeah. That's interesting. Yep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, We've been talking an hour and a half. You got anything else you want to end with? Any any thoughts? Um, and, you um, know, you're, as always, you're welcome to come back because I have a feeling you have way more stories in there. You're just Yeah, you're just I mean, I haven't even back. gotten into some of, like, my weird psychic experiences and strange things, like the real high strangeness stuff. I, I, I'm, I'll save that maybe for another time okay. <laughs> because it's a long discussion. Okay, well, and I'll do, yeah. you know, I'll do my best, blah, do my best to get it when Morgana can be here too, because she she loves oh, the high strangeness. So 
Awesome. Yeah, I would love to talk with Morgana too. It's been awesome talking with you. And it's great been it's been great talking with you. I am so glad you reached out. Um for sure. I love to hear from people who have I mean, you started with the the bird-shaped silvery that's and it from a plane and I love people yeah. with amazing stories. But I'm also glad to hear that you're researching and you're you're looking in, you know, sort of off on your own on things that a lot of people ignore. And I'm, I'm really yeah, glad to hear the that. Most important thing. One takeaway, one takeaway, I guess this is my, my closing thoughts are um, what you were saying about people in the ufology field overlooking the, you know, the physical aspects and the neurological aspects of, of this phenomena. Um, it's really important to understand the human brain because the human brain is what these things are interacting with. And if you can't understand the media with which they're interacting, you'll never understand them. Yeah. So it's critical. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Well, thank you very much. And you're uh, welcome. And thank you for having me. Oh, always. Well, that's all for this week's episode of the six degrees of John Keel podcast. If you have any questions or thoughts about the podcast or would like to come and talk about your experiences of the paranormal, you can contact us at 6DJK67 at gmail.com. We promise to even answer you, and we are always happy to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you.